Welcome to the 65th episode of the Free Pizza Podcast. Today's guest is Tristan Miller, an event planner and visual artist. Enjoy. Free Pizza, your platform for creatives. To the get to what? Today. <laughs> we have Tristan Miller in here. What's up? What's up? How you doing? I'm fabulous. She did not bring. She said she was bringing cold brew, but she didn't bring that. And um, yeah, she did bring me some cool stuff though. She brought me some clothes and she brought me a painting. <laughs> I can't eat any of that, but it's fine. <laughs> it will sustain you in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, how was your uh, Sunday? Look at you giving me shit. What? <laughs> this is the freaking podcast. What do you think? Oh, it's give artists all the shit. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank um, you for coming. Yeah, of course. Uh, my Sunday, how's my Sunday yeah, going? Yeah, My Sunday is not going as productive as I had hoped. It's all good. But I'm here and I'm excited. Exactly, we're happy to have you here. Thank you. And you do a crap ton of things. <laughs> oh, we'll try to narrow it down in this interview. <laughs> like I said, event planner and, um, and a visual artist. And if you've been to Greensboro Zine Fest, this is the, the, amazing woman that does it and all the other things and we have a holiday market coming up as well we'll talk about later um but yeah so start us off with uh gosh where this crazy journey started oh man um is it okay if i ask a question yeah go ahead. <laughs> so like how the crazy journey started as like an artist or yes. as okay cool. and you can go into like how we got into a yeah because they're so that. it's so entangled yeah um, yeah I so can't this got us down the the best road you can yeah. <laughs> well i really when i tell my story i have to put a like a disclaimer like it's gonna be really sad at first but i promise it gets better yeah 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 absolutely. so um so i in 2003 started uh university at um at uncg so i was a bfa major in painting cool and um I was very driven to move to New York. Oh wow! Um, so I actually uh, was very much checked out of Greensboro when I was in school. Like I was, everything was to get to New York. Mm-hmm. So I worked in retail here uh, at Banana Republic, and I knew that if I worked there, then I could transfer to New York. So job life was about getting to New York. School life was about getting to New York. I just needed to get the credits. And grades and stuff so that I could transfer to a uh, university up there, which was Hunter College, okay. which is located in Manhattan. So um, at that time, my biggest goal was to become the quintessential sense of like a painter, an artist with gallery representation, going to art school in New York, networking. Um, I also worked at the Weatherspoon Art Museum as a curatorial intern for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, had it even started as a volunteer there when I was uh, 17, 18 years old. So I every choice that I made in my life was about getting to New York. Okay. And even my friends were all about like I would go on tour with bands from New York and I would go on tour with bands from New Jersey and so I was constantly like going up to New York and being kind of checked out of Greensboro. Yeah. So then I moved to New York in 2004 at the end of my um, school semester. Mm-hmm. Got there. I uh, was living in Brooklyn with a bunch of house full of dancers from UNCG (laughs) Um, and then eventually moved into the city and was working in Soho and my life basically like was I was doing everything I wanted to do and I was getting ready to start a job at the new museum of contemporary art wow Um, 
so I was uh, really living my dream and was going to start school that fall. Um, and then I'll never forget. Um, I, it's actually taken a long time for me to realize how how pivotal this moment was. Um, when I worked at Banana Republic in Soho, I worked inventory and like uh, visual merchandising and stuff like that. So I was never really on the sales floor. So I'd have to go to work at five in the morning, get off at three, mm. and so I had to work constantly in order to have income and yeah. so when I finally had a day off my favorite thing to do was to take the six train down to Astor Place get off that stop and walk to get to St. Mark Street and walk straight to Thompson Square Park and yeah. take my sketchbook yeah. so um, this was sometime in late June and I get a call from my sister just after getting a smoothie my sketchbooks in my hand it's my day off it's gorgeous it's yeah. perfect and she says um everything's fine just wanna you know um everybody's okay and I was like why the fuck is she starting off like that yeah and I'll never forget I was standing on the corner um at uh second avenue and she with a bunch of people waiting for the light and she said so just want to let you know that mom's breast cancer has come back mm. And um, my mother had been diagnosed in 97 with uh, like stage three, stage two breast cancer. And I was, um, that was very devastating for us as a family and it was very like hard on me as a teenager especially. And uh, she, you know, that was something that I thought we had moved past. Yeah. So I um, just kind of had to get off the phone Cross the street, got to like where I wasn't near a bunch of traffic, and collapsed on somebody's back stairs or something, and just cried. Yeah. Because I knew that I there was no other alternative that I would have to leave. Like yeah. I'd have to go back to Greensboro, and um, so I came back, um, and literally went back to school at UNCG. Oh, wow. Showed up, did not tell the teachers, just showed up. Um, at that semester in August and everybody was just like what are you doing here yeah and so um so the kind of like that was really hard for me to come back to Greensboro under those circumstances um after so many years of the momentum of leaving yeah and I made a commitment to myself at that time uh that I would dwell in the land that I'm in okay you know, once I came back from New York and I was in Greensboro, I remember one time thinking that, okay, our downtown's super small, but we can freaking walk everywhere and this is awesome. Yeah, so I just, yeah. like, I felt really um, more appreciative of Greensboro. And yeah. so I decided, all right, well, then let's let's create something here. Okay. And unfortunately, my mother passed away um, in 2005, and that really derailed me. I yeah. mean... I thought we were just going to move through it just like we did the first time and everything was going to be fine. Um, and I eventually had to drop out of school and because, uh, you know, you can't be a caregiver and be in college at the same time like that in those circumstances. So then, um, but I didn't know what to do after she passed and I literally went back to school the day after her funeral. Oh, wow. So I tried to go back to school. I tried to like get back on track, um, but for me it was um, really, really hard. But I used my work, like I used the structure of school and 
being in art school to kind of give me some solace. Yeah. Um, but eventually it got to the point that years, like, on and off, I, like, eventually was doing really well in school, but then just hit a wall and had mm-hmm. a nervous breakdown and had to drop out. So I dropped out and um, stopped working at Banana Republic. I had been there for five years. I, I couldn't even really function. Um, but I needed to shift, and so eventually just was working uh, for a period of time, and then eventually went back to school, mm-hmm. um, got it together enough, moved to Greensboro from High Point, because I'm from High Point. Shout out to High Point. Yep, and so I left High Point in 2007 and moved closer to the UNCG campus. Okay. and. Um, basically was in school to about 2010 until I had another nervous breakdown. Okay. So fast forward to 2010, I'm choosing to like, you know, school's kind of finished and all, but there was a couple things that I still needed to do and I just, I was not okay. Um, I was in physical chronic pain. I was, my mental health was not okay. And there's a lot of things I wasn't addressing. And I think I just used school as a hideout um, instead of facing some real, needs of dealing with grief Mm -hmm. so i was in 2010 uh working at the iron hen (laughs) i was like just working i was working i've worked almost everywhere in greensboro that's a whole other story but basically was just like working there and uh living with a friend from art school who let me move in with them so that i could kind of get back on my feet because a lot of my income came from working at school i worked i wrote for the carolinian i worked in the digital lab of the art department Mm -hmm. so all my income and survival was connected to the school so once i stepped out of school i was kind of screwed like what am i going to do so i um late 2010 I, at that time, since 2007, I'd been doing craft fairs myself as a vendor yeah. and was dabbling in illustration because that was just what I was interested in, not mm-hmm. because that's what my work as an artist was about in school or my yeah. thesis work. It was really just like, this makes me happy. I have a lot of things I could be super sad about, but we're just going to like look at all the like things that are super cute and fun and just enjoy Thank that. You. And yeah. so I reconnected with my inner child in that way. and. Um, But I was doing a lot of illustration and making handmade goods. And so I befriended a guy named um, Zeke Van Treese. And he had experience doing events. And I approached him and said, you know, Greensboro really doesn't have a very strong indie craft fair kind of situation. And Mm -hmm. if they do, it's outdoors and it's not sustainable. And I want to create something. And I was really getting to a point personally where I was like, I either got to create something for myself I cannot sit around here waiting for somebody else to do something. I got to freaking do it. So he was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And we worked really well together. And we started in 2011, that spring of March 19th, um, we started the hand-to-hand market. Awesome. So then hand-to-hand market became my vehicle in the community for se- and has been for seven years um, to create a platform for artists yeah. to sell and present their wares. But it also created the vehicle for me to actually do illustration work. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been doing illustration work. And I've also been maintaining a studio practice and whatnot. So I've just kind of, I've had to do so many different things, like you were saying at the beginning, purely out of survival. Right. And because of the choice I made years ago, that if I'm going to stay here, then I have to really be here. I have to start doing, creating the things that I want to see instead of just being passive about it. Absolutely. And that's what people find themselves doing in Greensboro. So that's that's very bad as you're kind of taking advantage of the space we do have, you know, here in the triad. Um, But I'm curious. So you said you started with painting. Mm -hmm. So for people listening, what got you into painting? 
Well, I've I've been painting my whole life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when I was very young, um, I was like, I've heard other artists on your podcast talk about like how did they get into art, and it was mm-hmm. either later or it was when they were a kid mm-hmm. and um, being and you know kind of in solitude. Mm. And that was that's actually really true for me um, in that I was a key and lock child. Okay. Uh, my parents, when we moved here, um, had a lot of financial struggles. Okay. And so I would have to, like, and this was kind of illegal. Like, I was way <laughs> too freaking young to be letting myself in the door. And uh, But, yeah, I would get home, and my sister was, like, so much older than me. So I'd have to wait and, like, secretly let myself into the house at, like, seven or eight. Like, oh, wow. I shouldn't be doing that. But yeah. that was the way that I could, you know, my parents could, it was the only way I could do it. And so I would come home from school and my obsession and has always been my obsession is animation and okay. Disney. Like Disney was my obsession as a child. And so I would put in Disney movies and I would try to pause, I would pause the, mm-hmm. the movies and I would try to copy the characters. And um, I had to get, my mother used to say, oh, you know, I had to buy you a different coloring book every freaking week because you yeah. wouldn't stop. And so it was because I, like, my parents weren't really around. My sister wasn't really around, and I had to entertain myself. Mm-hmm. So I started drawing um, a lot. And then um, at eight years old, I made my first painting in watercolor. Awesome. And it was very much influenced by Little Mermaid. Yes. And my cool. art teacher saw it. Um, I still have this painting. And as a painting instructor myself now, like, it's damn good and yeah. i hate to say like i'm not trying to like you know toot my horn but from a foundational <laughs> but, yeah but from a foundational standpoint like shit it was there like it was very clear that i was putting in the work so when i tried a new medium like it clicked and yeah. so i would say i am very much naturally a painter yeah. like i uh excelled in painting i started taking painting classes with with adults actually in high school i would take oil painting classes oh, figure wow. drawing classes awesome. so the organization that i also, one of the hats that I wear is a drawing and painting instructor for the nonprofit Art Alliance of Greensboro. Mm-hmm. And I started taking those classes when I was in high school um, in conjunction, in addition to wanting more education um, mm-hmm. that I wasn't getting in art in public school. So I've been painting my whole life. There's yeah. just not. Yeah, literally your whole life. My whole life. I've been doing it. And so um, I resonate, like painting resonates for me, but I actually do a lot of more drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really out of just because of space or yeah. you know yeah I, I don't see drawing and painting any differently yeah absolutely and i'm wondering so when did you when did you know that you could do it as far as a career and seriously like we're, we're back then were you thinking like oh I fuck yeah this? yeah like back when you were younger oh shit yeah this is a living that was i've only ever had one career path yeah like i never when i was a child this is <laughs> you'll like this um i think what the real career I've ever really wanted was to be a quote-unquote creative director. Okay. Meaning, I was the person in charge of the aesthetic and all the choices of something. So, meaning, when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Okay. And I was obsessed with, like, collecting fashion magazines because I loved anything that was a creative career. Like, any, any, not just, not just, like, I knew I wanted to be an artist, but I wanted to do everything. I learned how to sew. Um, I can tell you the history of every, like, this is a fun fact. People don't know this. I know the history of every major fashion house in France, Italy, and the UK, and in the States. Like, Mm -hmm. I can... 
I like was such a nerd about it. Um, but I wanted to be a photographer too. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be the person that picked out the models, styled them, took the pictures. Like I have always had that kind of vision um, since I was a kid. Yeah. So when I got into middle school and my mother was sick at that time, um, my goal was to go to the NC School of the Arts. Okay. Um, that's what I wanted. But again, this like unfortunately this experience really derailed me you know because i didn't have the emotional maturity or coping skills right i really i really didn't so um i ended up going down the path of wanting to finally like by the time i was a senior in high school i had a mentor who was a pain uh, a painter named sean mcdaniel Mm -hmm. he got his master's from uncg and um he was a phenomenal influence for me and so I he said you really have a chance to get into art school you yeah. can pretty much go anywhere you want um, but my grades sucked <laughs> so <laughs> but not that that really mattered but um but eventually I just ended up doing the community college route and then ended up finally like I said where I started the stories and I got it together I got really serious and I was like okay I'm gonna make this a career mm-hmm. so but making art and making it a career path came out of necessity um, in 2010 Gotcha. That's when I really started doing uh, illustration work um, mm-hmm. because it was purely out of necessity. Like, I needed right. to hustle, basically. Like, hey, I can draw really well and do this. Like, do you need a poster for your event? I'll do it for this amount. And mm-hmm. if you give me a booth, cool. So, like, the first poster I ever did was for Tate Street Fest. Oh, awesome. Uh, that was super awesome. – that was really cool. And, um, actually, somebody in Greensboro has the original art for that because they saw it at my booth and – loved it um and bought the original so i did everything analog style too when i first started doing illustration um because i have a painting and fine arts background i didn't really know digital art as well i didn't really know how to do that as well so i i did take classes and it wasn't required that i did but i did that because i knew that well i got to somehow like have skills that are viable i don't necessarily want to be a graphic designer i just need to be able to kind of make a living so I did everything by hand. I used gouache or watercolor and would make all my posters that way. Right. Um, I did that for a long time until eventually I realized it would be quicker if I knew how to digitally color or draw or paint or whatever. So right. I started doing that. That's bad. And digitally, you mean like using Wacom tablets and yes. yeah. iPads and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I've been using, I don't have an iPad, but I have a Wacom, uh, Wacom tablet yeah. or however you say it. But yeah. um, over the years, I've befriended a lot of local illustrators and cartoonists in Greensboro and I have gone directly to them and asked for tutorials like can you show me how to do this because I want to know how to do it I but a lot of times <laughs> I would be getting illustration gigs and I would like sell myself so well that then I'd realize oh shit I don't really know how to do that and then I'd have to meet up with a friend and be like hey <laughs> you want to help me with this magazine cover yes but you know I did know how to execute the vision I just like needed some guidance yeah. um, so my education and skill set as a professional illustrator has literally been uh, being having thrown into the deep end and mm-hmm. got to fucking figure out how to swim. Yeah. Um, and thank God for relationships in my life because I wouldn't have been able to do anything that I do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think connections and all that kind of stuff you make as an artist or whatever just are, are essential to survival. So that's really badass that you've gotten as far as you have off just that. So that's amazing. Um, so I want to go to you graduate from UNCG mm-hmm. um, and what was your actual course of what did you study like what was your um, what did you major in fun fact your uh, 
some of your guests have actually I went to art school with, which yeah, is kind of cool. I'm sure everyone knows yeah. everyone. In yeah, like it's kind of cool. Like school. I took printmaking classes with Devin McKnight, yeah. which was super cool. Yeah. Um, so I just like um, other people like have said about the program, like at the time that I went to UNCG, there was not a very strict uh, application process. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of sign up, start taking classes. Um, so I... Um, went the route of a BFA in painting. Okay. So I took painting and drawing classes, a very academic, um, and I thrived in that. Yeah. To give you an example of how well I thrived in college, um, when I was a senior in high school, I basically almost was not going to graduate because I was doing so poorly. Um, I just didn't give a fuck. Like, no. I just was, I was so art-centric that math, science, all oh, those like other things, like, matter. those really bother. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I just, they weren't a, a strength for me. So then when I got to college, um, I had a 4.0 GPA. I always had a 4.0 GPA. Amazing. I never had anything below your highest grade and when I did have the lower grades those that was a huge reflection of my mental health mm-hmm. okay. and what I was going through so my professors were like this is not normal what's going on so um, so when I was in art school taking art history classes taking figurative drawing classes anatomy classes taking um, you know concepts of drawing uh, installation art, all that kind of stuff. Like I thrived. Yeah. Um, I still consider myself very academic when it comes to art. Um, right. Because Absolutely. yeah, I really believe that the foundations of drawing and painting matter. And when you can speak about your work from a place that's like not so necessarily like tied up in your emotions or tied up in your um, personal narrative, and you can speak about the work in a way that's like these are the rules of drawing and painting, and this is what's working and this isn't. It really elevates your growth. Right. So for me, I'm very academic. Yeah. That's incredible. That's cool to hear. You know, (laughs) congrats. It was a forever ago, but still, that's pretty (laughs) badass. Um, So so what is your, I'm curious, and I ask every single art student this, no matter what school they went to, what was your overall, I guess, um, experience at, at, at at the art school at UNCG? Were you really happy with it? Um... Not, don't, and don't bash it. Oh, no, you I'm not. I'm like, I'm just, actu- I should be the poster opinion. child for yeah, UNCG's yeah. art department. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I'm going to play, like, going back to my original my story of how I, like, ended up here. When I was in art school, I, if you ask a lot of the professors, like, at UNCG, like, um... I remember Miriam Stefan, who's one of the tenure painting instructors at UNCG, when she first started. Like, I go way fucking back with everybody there. And I developed very close relationships with the professors there because I'm the kind of student that strongly believes that it's my personal responsibility to pull everything out of you. And that it's your responsibility as my instructor to pull everything out of me. So I really created my own education. I had a very high standard of like communication with my professors and was like, I actually was more in contact with them because my peers at the time, I really didn't feel like we were, uh, it's not that I thought that I was, um, I felt like I wasn't around other people who took art seriously. I wasn't around other people who were very driven and motivated. And so when I was in school, um, here's a couple anecdotal stories of, if you go to UNCG's art department now, 
and you walk through the Gatewood building, you're going to see drawings on the, in the walls in the hallway. Okay. Okay. So, you're going to see that on the second level outside the drawing and painting studios. Well, back in 2007, 8, 9, and 10, that didn't exist until I said, fuck it. I'm going to, you know what? You're not going to give me a studio as a senior. I'm going to use the whole hallway as a studio. I'm going to start putting up all my paintings. I'm going to do installation drawings in the corners over here by the water fountain. I would do installation drawings in the stairwell in the middle of the night. And the person who's responsible for all the, the, like the um, protocol for the building in terms of fire code, et cetera, like that, um, has known me for a long time. His name is Chris Thomas. He told me uh, about six years ago when I was his nanny for him and his wife, Barbara Campbell Thomas, who also is a painting instructor, he said, Tristan, you do realize that you were one of the biggest pains in my ass with that time because you were <laughs> always putting shit up in the walls and in the, in the um, stairwells and in the front of the building and all this stuff. And he said, but you are really were the catalyst for that space being activated. Yeah. And... And, it, and I th he's right. Like, I never really thought about it, but he's right. Because nobody was doing that at the time. So as far as my education goes from UNCG, um, whether UNCG liked it or not, I was going to, like, milk it for what it was worth. I was going to put in the time and energy. Like, in the printmaking studio, nobody ever used a printmaking studio at night. So I lived only a block away. I freaking lived in that printmaking studio. Yeah. You can ask the professors and be like, how many drawers did Tristan have in the flat file? <laughs> because, like, we all had to share um, storage space. Yeah. But people weren't making the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to get the most out of this education. Because if I can't be in New York... I'm in a, I'm really going to be here in Greensboro. So. Oh, that's actually I don't, that's actually a very good way to look at that. Actually, yeah, you know, yeah. But as I think everyone bashes this city, and you know, and I have been person to do that back in the past. But that's absolutely the best way to make of this place, and that's awesome. So yeah, you had a, overall you had a great experience there. Then I did, and here's f some fun facts. Like I've been asked three times and paid three times to give lectures at UNCG yeah. in the art department yeah. because I have always been entrepreneurial in everything that I did when I was there and everything I've done outside of there that, and I've kept in contact with the staff there. Like, I mean, that really means a lot to me that like I've been asked to share that information and talk to the UNCG students now and I still will pop in like, um, and give talks about the events that I'm doing, and then that enrolls UNCG, UNCG students from the art department to come and be a part of those events. Yeah. So I have very positive feedback about UNCG. The only thing that I would say negative is that they're doing so much cool shit now yeah, for the they're students. Doing amazing shit now. That yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't get any of that, you yeah. know. So it's like, yeah. damn it, like. But that's okay. I yeah, mean, it's, it's it is what it is. But so UNCG is doing great. Yeah. I love UNCG. Shout out to that. That was some good years. Um, but cool. So let's fast forward to you graduating. Mm -hmm. um, did you know what you wanted to do? Obviously, you're doing the event stuff came after, right? Yeah. So so after. Yeah, I never thought I was going to. I would have. If you had told me, hey, guess what? You're going to be like an event planner for a really long time. Yeah, I would have. What? Like, hell no. No. Um, so I think. Let's be real. Our creativity is for our survival. Okay. We, yeah, I agree. We as humans had to evolve and create, you know, be creative in problem solving of how are we going to survive? How are we going to have shelter overhead? How are we going to like, you know, how are we going to have connections and relationships? 
when I was coming out of school, I was disconnecting myself from an institution that had been so uh, vital to my literal survival. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was at a really big crossroads, and I was also kind. Of, I know I was struggling mentally and physically and emotionally at that time, where. I think I was living in a story of like, woe is me, I'm so sad, like I lost my mom, I used to be in New York, like I've done all this work in school and I have these great grades, but then like there's no, like what am I going to do? And I had to change that story um, and I would say that it was then I had to start looking to see what was around me and what was it needed that nobody else was filling that void and Mm -hmm. so, and I had to create a career for myself. I had to use my problem solving skills and creative thinking and entrepreneurial skills to like okay then i'm just gonna create this Mm -hmm. so i struggled financially for a long time with that um until things really started taking off i still sometimes struggle yeah i think we all do yeah absolutely um but i had to create the career that i wanted but i didn't know what i was creating i really honestly couldn't tell you at the time Mm -hmm. that i would be creating something um a path for myself to where years later I would be doing consulting for event planning that mm-hmm. I would be the person approached to be like hey we have this concept uh, for an event or we have this idea for an event but we have no concept can you help us create that yeah so I never I never thought that was gonna happen I know I've always thought that yes I would keep being an artist I still continually show my work my work is still the number one priority Absolutely. Even though it ebbs and flows. Your personal work, you mean? Yeah, my personal work as a visual artist, as a painter, like, you know, I've been showing my work since 2007. Or no, 2006. So from 2006 until about three years ago, I had a solo show somewhere every year. Um, But I took a little hiatus uh, from, I had a show in 2015, and then I took a little break from having a show in Greensboro or somewhere nearby. But, um, But now at this point in my life, I do so many different things, but I've been whittling it back and re- refining it. Um, but I think the one constant career path has always been to be a visual artist. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's and that's still going to be, like, I have, you know, some long-term goals for that that I'm Absolutely. working with developing. So, the Free Piece of Podcast is sponsored by Zipster, specializing in custom websites and local design. You don't have to lift a finger to look cool online. Visit Zipster.com and see what they can do for you. Why wind it back? Are you just trying to just focus on, I guess, not as many things so, so you can just kind of be like a expert in a few things rather than good at a lot of things? Is yeah. That the reason why? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, I recently worked with a, a life coach, uh, Alicia, uh, from Yoke and Abundance. Okay. And she gave me the perfect analogy. Um, it was fantastic. Really kind of gave me the visual to kind of work off. Uh, she said, okay, if you have like a... a a glass beaker and you put um if you put a bunch of uh let's say you put like three big stones in there and then you put um sand in there and then you put some gravel and then you put some sand and then you put water mm-hmm. okay so is it full at that point yes it's absolutely at its fullest capacity she said now if you reverse that and let's say you put this the gravel in first and then you put the sand and then you try to put the big rocks in there. <laughs> and then you try to put water. It's going to overflow. Like, it, nothing's going to freaking fit. Yeah. Um, she said, that's 
what you have to do is you have to ask yourself, what are the big rocks? What are the three or four or five, you know, just depending, but maybe let's say what are the three largest priorities and focus that, what are those? And you put those first and then you allow other things can be the filler. They can fill that in so that your cup is full. And for me, it was always like, okay, illustration work, um, the, you know, doing the hand hand market, working some kind of quote unquote day job, like whether that was in retail or teaching at a Montessori school, um, teaching classes, drawing and painting classes, being a pet sitter, being a crafter, like all these different things. And now for me, I've like really just narrowed it down to three. Okay. And, you know, the three being, um, instead of it being just like quote unquote hand-to-hand it's really event production really putting that kind of all together and Mm -hmm. saying like okay it's greensboro zine fest Mm -hmm. it's the hand-to-hand market it's doing consulting for other events okay so event production and then the second would be um uh and my visual work whether how that manifests whether it's through making my own zines whether it's through um you know making more illustrative looking work or is it making more large paintings or something Mm -hmm. whatever that is and then the third would be um i have a career now with lululemon yes so working full-time for them like that's like my quote-unquote day job but that job complements so well to the two other things that i'm doing and i wouldn't even have that job if it wasn't through like my illustration work like they hired me as a um illustrator to do chalk art for them when yeah. they first opened in oh, that's badass. that's cool so like my connection to them is fully connected to my work as an artist art that's so awesome that's crazy how that works mm-hmm. um so great segue let's go to one of your rocks um your visual art painting stuff illustrated stuff so i want to talk about i guess your vision for creating those bodies of work um, so do you like try to express anything where you're creating these things or where, where does, where's the, um, I guess imagination coming from or inspiration coming from? Um, well, all right, let's get real academic. <laughs> let, me, let me put on my artist hat. Um, okay. So if you look at a lot of my work currently, it's abstract. Yeah. Um, my work is abstract in the in the formal sense that I am influenced by something that does exist, okay. right? Like, it, but you can't necessarily like identify what that is per se by looking at it. Okay. Um, my per I would say like the the work that I'm most that has the most of my personal narrative, the most of my personal interest, is my abstract work, um, because that work is influenced by. Um, nature like um actually more specific um to water and how nature uh natural disasters or um how moments of power in nature can happen that can really unsettle us and how uh, nature has been the most like the, the most perfect metaphor our human experience so it manifests in our subconscious and like our dreams and then it manifests so much in visual art or writing or you know film or whatever it is so to me um nature as a source of inspiration specifically with natural disasters and like the the negative side of nature like how it can really upset things um or represent really strong emotions is something that I'm really interested in. Yeah. 
because it's part of my own personal journey and reflection on like you know when I uh, was really struggling with the loss of my mother um, I would have really vivid strong dreams that certain things natural disasters would happen and that was like you know far more terrifying you know than I could ever put into words and so subconsciously um, that kind of visual reference was showing up in my work even though I would have years ago would have said well no it's I'm interested in Japanese woodblock prints and I'm interested in like Japanese aesthetics in terms of traditional textiles designs or origami paper and all these different like motifs in traditional Japanese art you know I would say that but really what what was happening that was surfacing in my sketchbooks and was surfacing in my paintings and my illustration work was really this um, visceral experience of nature and my dream life Mm -hmm. and my dreams subconscious and in my you know visual like things that you know if you've ever been to japan or haven't like japan is so freaking beautiful and yeah absolutely um you experience nature in a different way or if you go to california you experience nature in a very different way and Mm -hmm. i think my um experience with nature has really imprinted on my visual subconscious i guess in a way that's really freaking cool you know, and I've recently um, become a very uh, big fan of abstract art just because of talking to people like you and this Devin and um, Morgan. We interviewed her yesterday. Um, and a lot of people say that, you know, they don't understand it. And it's, I'm glad you kind of say that, like, I guess there's no wrong way to understand it, I guess. But do you, how would you say, how, what was the best What was the best way you think to, to I guess, Engage in looking at abstract art. Well, so, so like I um, I said, I'm a I'm a visual art instructor for the Art Alliance, yeah. and I teach the foundations of drawing yeah. for adults on Monday nights. And in that class, I basically take people who have never drawn anything, who don't have a full understanding of art history, who you know, it's basically art 101, yeah. like appreciation for art, but you're going to learn how to draw too, right? Um, I think the reason why most people, when they see abstract art, why they struggle with it is because they don't understand maybe the historical context. What is it coming out of? Where is it coming from? Um, Second of all, they don't understand foundational terms. So one of the things that I teach my students uh, from day one is we got to learn the seven elements of art. Mm -hmm. And when you understand the seven elements of art, you can use that as a guideline or rules to help you be able to look at what you're seeing. Because if you can identify those seven things, sweet. Or if those not all seven things are present, awesome. Like you are speaking from a place of a better understanding of the rules of drawing and painting. Right. Because what painters and artists, visual artists do is that they learn the rules first Just like you learn a language, you learn the grammar, you learn the vocabulary, you put it all together, and then eventually start learning that kind of like conversational skills and cadence in in conversation using that language. And then you can start expressing yourself. You know how to shorten things or Mm -hmm. expand on things. So I tell my students, when you say you want to learn how to draw, you're saying you want to learn how to see better. You want to see the world around you more clearly. And then you also want to learn how to speak. It's a way, it's a language. It's a different way to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I think the problem when people like look at abstract art 
is that they want some clear cut like well what is this yeah well if you if you want to see something recognizable well tough shit you're not going to get that <laughs> but if you're also not willing to do the work to like understand like to read what the 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 blurb next to it or to google who is jackson pollock and what was going on at that time like you got to have the whole rest of the story i think mm-hmm. But you also have to be present with the work and just see it for what it is. Stop yeah. trying to say, oh, I see a face in that. Just let that go. It Be present and give it, you know, give it the chance to just be present with you. Okay. Um, and I say that, like, I'm really impassioned about that right now because I just got back from New York City. I went back for the first time in years and as a birthday present to myself, I said I just wanted alone time in New York and I went and I went to the Met twice and I went to MoMA and... I didn't look at the map. I didn't look at what was being shown. I didn't go in with any preconceived notion other than I'm just here to be present. And I walked around and I like had the most wonderful experience I have ever had in front of a painting that totally caught me off guard. I didn't think I would get emo about it, but (laughs) I was at the MoMA and I didn't know that MoMA had Van Gogh's Starry Night. Oh, wow. I had no idea. And I like it was on like a backside of a wall and you walk into this room and you see Cezanne, you see Gauguin, you see all these 19th century painters, post-impressionists, um, that you, you know, you learn about in school or you see on a calendar at the Target or whatever, like you, you know, they're so like common images, but I come around the corner of this wall and there's the Gauguin, I mean the, the Van Gogh, Starry Night, and there's a crowd of people around it And I just lost it. Like, I lost it not because, like, oh, my God, it's, like, the painting that I've seen on my calendar for years <laughs> or it's not a gift card that I got. No, it was because that dude fucking did the work for 10 years. He was, like, struggling real hard, and he, like, he did the work and understood drawing and painting and was willing to do something different and take risks, and he was really undervalued. And, yeah, now he's super famous, but... You know, just from, like, knowing his work, to see it in person, like, was, like, seeing him in person. Like, going back in time and meeting him. And I, like, cried. I totally cried. And I have always said art has never made me cry. Like, visual art, painting. Like, creative writing has always hit me harder. Words have always hit me harder. And that's weird for me to say. Yeah. As somebody who's, like, fully trained in it. Right. But that was a very powerful experience and I've told my class last week I was like they asked me well like how should we look at art and I said do your homework read about it if you're interested in it get more of the story but when you go through a museum be respectful and just be present yeah just look at it and use and use what you know to kind of help put it together absolutely that's absolutely incredible I did not know that painting was there it's there and um, another moment where I, I teared up was um, they have the Andrew Wyeth's uh, Christina's World. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know much about Andrew Wyeth until I recently like found a book of his drawings uh, tucked away in the studio where I teach. And I was like, whoa, this guy is freaking amazing. And so I knew that they had Christina's World. And I'd done all this research for the past six months about him. And when I finally saw it in person, again, I got super like moved by that. Yeah. Yeah. But because I'd done, like, had some knowledge, it really made its presence more powerful. Right. 
and I was able to really show my respect to it and like really you know be present with that yeah that's so badass yeah wow. and I would say I just want to say this what's up if you live in Greensboro or you're ever in Greensboro like and I, I'm speaking more to anybody who's listening go to the Weatherspoon Art Museum absolutely take have a have a solo date mm-hmm. with yourself and just go to the museum mm-hmm. and let yourself have that like Yes. the time to walk and be present with art because yes. they have an amazing collection and yeah. it's really underrated in terms it's of the community incredibly underrated i went there so much in undergrad i haven't gone in probably a couple years now but they have some great things in there so we need to have a friend date and we're yes. gonna go yes i'm down with that okay jacob's coming jacob's oh day night no but seriously though it's being in museums i just came from washington so i went to all those museums but this is this is real it's just a real experience you know mm-hmm. no matter where what museum you would be at um it's such a great time just to you know by yourself and just a oh no it's it's wonderful and i'm happy you got experience of that you yeah know, that, that's really too. that's really badass but i'm wondering so you mentioned your students and all that so why why teach why why are you why are you why are you doing that um well i kind of fell into it okay. um but i i, I fell into it but literally, uh, I think when I was in college, I always wanted to be an instructor. Mm-hmm. I think I have, um, I do have a gift for uh, communicating, I yeah, think, yeah, with, you know, these very abstract, you know, kind of concept about art. But yeah. um, so I had the opportunity in 2006 to, I mean, 2012 to start teaching at the Art Alliance of Greensboro, which I, that's that was where the seed was planted for me. Where, you know, art history and like really studying drawing and painting. Um, so I, I think anytime that an artist has the chance to teach or to step out of their comfort zone, to start having to use verbal communication to explain what they're already doing second nature yeah. is going to make them a better artist. I'd say it's hard to enhance your skills. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've gotten so much better as an artist over the past six years, yeah. especially in the past couple of years. I'm much more proud of my work now yeah. um, because I've been teaching now for a good six years and I, I, I just really feel really grounded in who I am as an artist because I've had to explain what is art over and over and over (laughs) and to try to get (laughs) other people engaged in it right right so tell us what the art alliance is and tell us how to we can get involved if we wanted to um, so the Art Alliance of Greensboro is a nonprofit organization that started out of City Arts Greensboro. So mm-hmm. it's connected to the city of Greensboro. Yeah. It's in the Culture Arts Center, just like the CVA and all that. But it's on the first floor, and it's really like not really known about, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But they offer the most academic like uh, painting and drawing classes that you can get for adults and for students um, in the fine arts and sculpture. They also have pottery. Pottery is much more. Um, popular and and that's really what floats the program to be honest yeah so i um i think if you just i really think people should consider taking a formal drawing or painting class and i think the art alliance is the perfect place to do it the studio is beautiful really nice natural light um the instructors are all really um established artists in themselves i mean like jim barnhill who is a sculptor who did the nathaniel green uh sculpture in that roundabout downtown wow, Lake Street. he did minerva no on uncg's campus like he teaches at ant he's a very established figurative sculpture so he uh has been teaching for 20 years at the art alliance a sculpture class wow. there yeah so uh to be you know to know that he's one of my colleagues and yeah. um, some other established painters like it's super cool yeah 
So yeah, it's just, it's uh, artalliancegso.org if okay. anybody wants to. You just sign up through um, online mm-hmm. and all that. Kind of and stuff. my my next session of drawing is actually starting up soon, so you okay. can register now for the next session. Awesome. Um, and what that's date? A, uh, I don't know when it starts. I think it's in two weeks. Okay. And Monday is at six thirty to nine. That's that's awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. So let's get into your more about hand in hand and more GSFS and all that. Um, obviously, you mentioned back in the day you earned it back a couple a while ago in an interview. Uh, you did it because you wanted to kind of make something, you know, for Greensboro for yourself, really. Um, so tell us how that's kind of changed just through the years. Cause you started it back in two thousand eleven. Eleven. So two thousand eighteen is probably changed yeah. a lot. So tell us about that. Um, about Handy Market or Greensboro Zine Fest? Um, do Handy Hand Market, then we go to these. Okay, these cool. All right. Um, Handy Hand Market started as an indoor craft fair um, mm-hmm. in March 2011. Um, the green bean allowed us to use the bottom half of the space, like their um, their downstairs area of the cafe and all that, was where we had music and live workshops and TED to- TEDx style talks, yeah. um, talking about creative entrepreneurship, uh, small business format, um, illustrators like uh, Jordan Grace Owens gave mm-hmm. a talk. Um, we had printmaking, we had a knitting circle, we had um, Maddie Sheets and the Blockheads played a show that night. Hell yeah. And then the apartment above stairs was, upstairs was the um, space where we had all the vendors. And fun fact, the people who owned that building, I used to be their nanny. Oh, and wow. I've known them for years. And so when I had this idea, Zeke at the time was the manager of the Green Beans. So we went to them and asked, could we use the space to, you know, to, to do this event? So that's when Hand to Hand Market happened. And okay. the best feedback I ever got that day was from um, a guy came up to me and he was so pumped. And he's like, I love this so much because I don't feel like I'm in Greensboro. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of cool. I was like, haha, it is possible to like feel like you're you know up to date on things and like cool things are happening um so that was a real catalyst for me to keep going so the hand market started with a spring market a winter market or holiday market and the holiday market happened at um upstairs at ben uh 33 but that's no longer there anymore um downtown and then eventually it ended up having to be just um the holiday market for a few years because zeke started homestead apparel and yes. I just needed like we and I was doing other things that I needed to just kind of taper it back and so I did hand-to-hand by and have been doing hand-to-hand market by myself um, since about 2013-14 and so it started just being a holiday market at the Mm -hmm. Elm Street Center and then um, in 2014 I kind of got back into making zines, mm-hmm. which has always been something I've been really interested in for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was making them in art school, um, but I was using the digital equipment to be able to do that. And so when I came out of art school in 2010, I'm like, shit, I don't have a scanner. Yeah. I don't have a computer. Mm-hmm. I don't have all these things that I was just so reliant on school for. Like, how the frick am I going to do this? And so for a while, I stopped doing that. Um, and I had started a zine called Finding a Place and Trusting It for a while. And I started that in 2009, and then um, took a break, and then I decided to, 
you know, I need to do this analog. I'm going to have to do it the way that zines are supposed to be made, in a sense, like yeah. the way that they started. So because I had the catalyst of the event Zine Machine, which is a printed matter and zine fest in Durham that started in 2015, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take the risk and table there, and I'll just have to start making zines again. Yeah. So I figured it out, and I re um, brought back to life that zine and have been making that zine ever since, and then Zine Machine was so awesome that I was just totally reinvigorated with by the arts community in Durham and meeting all these like amazing cartoonists, amazing writers, amazing photographers that were all making zines. And it actually, through zines, became the way that I was able to have my work at CAM and a show later that year um, curated by Bill uh, Thalen, who is a phenomenal artist and um, curator and gallery owner of Lump in mm -hmm. Raleigh. So I, through zines, was able to reconnect with the art world from a different uh, fat, like from a different point. And then I made all these new friends from yeah. all over. And I was just like, you know what? Greensboro needs a zine fest. Yeah. There's never been a zine fest in Greensboro. And I know how to put on events. Yeah. Let's do it. So in 2016, um, I decided to do the Greensboro. Uh, well, I created the hand-to-hand -hand zine and print fest. Right. I started under the heading of hand-to-hand -hand because I thought, well, there's already an audience built there. Let's mm -hmm. do that. Um, and it was at Gibbs 100, and it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It went really well. So, But I wanted the event to have more. I yeah. wanted it to be more experiential for the guest, and I wanted it to be, like, I think it needed to be more educational. And because a lot of people in this community don't know what zines are. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I need a different space so I can have more space to do workshops and things like that, just like I did the very first hand-to-hand -hand market. So Revolution Mill um, approached mm -hmm. me about having events there, and mm -hmm. so I was like, well, let's start off with the Greensboro Zine Fest. So in 2017, I did the Greensboro Zine Fest, yes. renamed it. By doing that, it got more traction in the zine community in the state. So it was being listed on uh, websites for Zine Fest, and people from all over the East Coast signed up for the Zine Fest, mm -hmm. and it just really... Yeah. It was so phenomenal. It was like it, it was so well received. And then on top of that, it really reset, like, it set a fire in me. I yeah. was like, I, I mean, I love handmade goods and all that stuff, but I'm all about the power of, like, printed matter and the hell power yeah. of, to the people. You know what I mean? Like, hell yeah, hell yeah. I, I love narrative and I love people sharing their stories. So, um, so this year we had the Zine Fest again, but what I did differently. Since I pretty much do everything for hand-to-hand, -hand, I did everything for the first two zine fests. And that's not really sustainable. So I put a call out for a community interest meeting in May of this year, and I've got four awesome, four or five awesome women yes. on this committee who come from different backgrounds, different points of view, who have helped make Zine Fest even more. Yes. And Greensboro Zine Fest is only gonna get better. So yeah, right now absolutely. we're like in off season, so we're doing a lot of research about um, ways that we can make Zine Fest really dynamic um, and be a gift to the community even further by creating print scholarships mm -hmm. so that oh, people yeah. who don't have the resources um, but have the stories, have the things that they wanna share, actually then create the funding for them to be able to print and make their zines. Yeah. So Greensboro Zine Fest is just uh, flourishing right now. Yes, Even absolutely. if you might not be able to see the full result, but like I've made new friends because of it. I've just I'm just thrilled. I'm yeah. just really excited about that. 
I'm super stoked because that was I did go to 2017 well, last year. Yeah. Um, Zine Fest at Rev Mill, and it was I was blown away. You know, it, it's it's weird because it did like the guy said about hand to hand forever ago. It's like it didn't feel like you were in Greensboro. Yeah. You know, and I talked to so many. I mean, of all ages and all that, and very diverse. You know, a set of vendors, and it was absolutely amazing. So I applaud you on that. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely something that Greensboro definitely needed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, if I went to the next one, it's, it's gonna, gonna be. Next be year. It will always be the last Sunday of July. Okay, so next year. So next year, Perfect. and the thing about that, July is International Zine Month. Yeah. So I curate oh, free awesome. workshops the whole month of July in yeah. the community, so that people um, can learn how to make a zine, and then they can actually show up at the Zine Fest. They could table, or they could you know share zines and trade or whatnot. So. Yeah. I try to prep the community to leading towards the last Sunday of the month to be celebratory and like really feel like they have a voice in that event. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Guys, if you see GSO Zine Fest coming up next year, go. You, you would not be disappointed. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be there. Um, but awesome. Gosh, you've given us so many great jewels during this conversation. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't say too much. No, it's fine. I want you to give us some more. I mean, you've given us kind of some advice throughout the whole entire interview, but maybe give us something like the top three or four, you know, quick, quick um, sets of advice, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, so, I, I recently, like in the past year, um, have really been thinking a lot about creative entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. What is it really? Yeah. And like, how do some people really thrive? And how do some people really struggle with that, especially when they're um, trying to create a handmade business or they're trying to like get into the field of like illustration or they want their work to be seen, you know, they got this BFA, but they have to work this full-time job and they're like, you know, but they really want to be a painter. Now, how did they do that? Um, so I gave a talk last year on something that I wrote called the 10 rules for building meaningful connection mm -hmm. for creatives. Mm -hmm. and. One of the rules that I think is most pivotal, the, the, the first two rules, I think, are crucial. And um, I, f I really feel like these are truths that I've discovered over the past 15 years of being in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. um, the first rule is that everything in life, even in business, is rooted in relationships. Okay. It's about relationships. Absolutely. So how are you being creative and making connections with other people um, so that you can build relationships that are meaningful and sustaining. Yes. So yes, we yes. use social media, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people, you know, have really reconnected with old friends or whatnot for social uh, through social media. And I think social media was invented in a way for us to continue to connect with each other because we need relationships to survive. We are not meant to be s separate. Um, the worst thing you could do to somebody is put them in solitary confinement. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think social media is just another example of creative survival thinking of how do you stay connected. So social media is this platform. It's been created. Well, how do you use it in a way that it's more like sustainable? And I think a lot of people fall into this pit of thinking that, well, I have to, you know, I need to detox from social media because I'm comparing myself from other people or um, I'm spending too much time on it. And those are very legitimate yeah. things. Yeah, they are. But I see social media as a tool. Mm -hmm. And that tool has to be used to its greatest potential yeah. if I have a certain goal of wanting to continue to put myself out there as a, an event organizer and as an artist and whatnot. Mm hmm so I really curate everything that I see on social media what I take in and what I put out has to be positive mm -hmm. 
I if if I'm following people that like aren't really supporting what my goals and my core values are as a person, then I don't follow that person. Right. You know, and I separate um, I separate that. So that's one way I use social media in a really big way to connect and build healthy relationships. Um, that's just an example. Mm-hmm. So, but I also believe in that you have to have face to face time with people. It yes. has to be totally in person. Mm-hmm. So you can use social media as a way to like connect with someone, but you better follow through with being able to to see them face to face. Now that leads into rule number two. Rule number two is that you have to have a healthy relationship with yourself first before you start trying to, to network and create connections um, in whatever way that you want. Because no matter what you do, whatever effort you make to try to network or build professional relationships with people or to build personal relationships with people that you want to be friends with that are interested in the same things as you, if you are not taking care of yourself, that relationship needs to be number one. You will never have a solid foundation to build a relationship with that person that's sustainable. You won't be able to check in on them. You won't be able to follow up. You will like totally disappear from that relationship if you're not really grounded in who you are and how you take care of yourself. So for me, my relationship with myself comes first, whether that's through radical self-care of making sure I'm at the gym four days a week or Mm -hmm. making sure that my um, emotional needs are met through journaling or, you know, um, introspection of reading, whatever, you know, self-work too. It's not just like doing the real work to make myself a better human being. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that has to come first. So no matter how much you want to like have a career in the arts or whatever that it requires networking it requires showing up and going to events and like meeting new people and whatever and if you aren't taking care of yourself it doesn't matter if you show because you're not going to be able to see the value or be able you'll see the value but you won't be able to invest your full self into that Mm -hmm. so to me i think number one um you know know that everything is about relationships you cannot you cannot isolate yourself yeah I, i don't care if you say like oh i'm you know super introverted and i want to be alone well yes me too man like i want to be alone too hell yeah to do the work (laughs) but at the same time you still got to show up yes um and then i think you got to be real with yourself of like are you really taking that great care of yourself yeah are you really doing the work right because the work is really fucking hard so hard yes and you really like it's gonna really challenge you and change you or do you really want to do that right so i'm i'm just a real stickler about that yeah. And I, with my students, um, I'll have so many students on day one. They'll show up be like, man, I've always wanted to take a drawing class. I, my kids just finally moved out or I'm finally retired or I'm taking hiatus from school or whatever it is. And I really, you know, I've always wanted to do this. But something will come up where I'll hear them say maybe their work life or personal life. And there's there's an issue. There's There's a red flag. And there's been times where I've had to speak to that student and say, I've noticed that you haven't been coming to class and I noticed that you probably feel really bad that you haven't been in class, but I want to give you, I I really want to ask you and maybe give you some um, grace that like, are you okay? No. Like, cause it's one thing to say that you want to take this drawing class, but drawing and taking, you know, doing anything in an art practice requires a lot of time and discipline. And if you don't have that right now, that's okay. Yeah. But let's be real. Like, should you be investing and being in this class right now exactly exactly that's amazing so self-care and connections mm-hmm. i love that 
then those are and obviously you give us a lot more advice throughout the whole thing your whole life seems like a one big <laughs> cautionary you know, advice. tale <laughs> <laughs> but no this has been wonderful you know this, this interview is a long time coming glad we finally did it um and gosh gsfs hand-to-hand market and you have one event coming up in the in the winter yeah so the um hand-to-hand holiday market is yeah. december 2nd okay it's a sunday at revolution mill in the wham rev gallery awesome so it's a sunday it's not a saturday so sunday. it's a sunday so that you kind of like get all your fun stuff done on saturday or yeah. cleaning or whatever you gotta do yeah and then hopefully you can come by sunday but i will say that like the holiday market is the biggest um event that i put on mm-hmm. and it's the most like it it's so great as far mm-hmm. as the vendors like it's amazing so yeah. if you can just really like hold out maybe on buying like stuff from target or whatever it is like yeah. you know do shop local because yeah. this is like the best market that you can go to in greensburg to yeah. really shop local but like all over the southeast it's not just north carolina yeah, it's artists everywhere. it's everywhere like it's pretty big yeah that's amazing and is it too late to be a vendor if someone was interested if somebody's interested in being a vendor, um, I'm still looking at applications and, you know, uh, there's still some time. So if somebody wanted to contact me, the best way to do that is to send me an email at handtohandmarket at gmail.com. Awesome. And just shoot that. And the application is still live on handtohandmarket.com. Okay. So they can fill that out, but, you know, they definitely need to send an email as well. Awesome. We're going to link all, we're going to put all those emails and websites and all that on the description um but where can we find you like instagram and websites and all that kind of stuff um so the three instagrams that uh, <laughs> that i have to manage um for my personal work it's tristan uh miller it's t-r-s-t-i-n miller yeah. um yes. so you can find me on instagram that way and then uh it's hand-to-hand market you can find that on Instagram, and then the Greensboro Zine Fest is on Instagram as well. Yes. And then, um, and then there's Facebook pages for all three of those. So awesome. you can again just look those up, and you'll find it. Yes. So check the description for all that. We're putting all that. We put Harper LinkedIn for um, the Greensboro Art Alliance too. Yeah. I think that's very badass, and I think yeah. it's very benefit uh, beneficial to a lot of people because they probably didn't even know about it. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's amazing. Thank you, Tristan. If you see her <laughs> crying in a museum, just. <laughs> leave her alone she's fine <laughs> it's just so beautiful this is so great but nah thank you. thank you thank you so much and thank you for the goodies i got one of her pieces um that i'm probably gonna put on my instagram story tonight i want to show Ow. it off um but yes you're the best free pizza loves you and keep listening to more free pizza podcasts Ow, ow. bye see ya <laughs>